Hi, listeners. I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast series that brings together subject matter experts, community leaders, and local stakeholders to raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about the Cobb Collaborative's focus areas. Today, we are delighted to welcome Ellen McCarty to our program. Ellen is the founder and principal of McCarty & Co., but she has a track record of service and commitment to our community that I cannot wait to share with our listeners. So Ellen, please share a little bit about yourself and everybody, let's just sit back and enjoy. Thank you, Irene. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Um, So my background um, goes way back. I'm showing showing my age here, but um, I started my career with Cobb County Juvenile Court, and I did this for 15 years. I started as a probation officer and then became, excuse me, a supervisor. And then when I left the court, I was the deputy director of juvenile court services. Um, This was in the um, late 70s, all through the 80s, and um, midway through the 90s. Um, I've always been a resident of Cobb County. So the combination of living in Cobb County, raising my son in Cobb County, being very connected in the community, uh, and then my professional experiences in Cobb County, um, I like to think of it as this was my launching pad. <laughs> Absolutely. And I uh, I morphed into the nonprofit sector by virtue <clears throat> of Cobb County uh, as it grew in population, uh, there was an, a need for an adolescent shelter. Uh, we had a shelter um, open gate that many people are familiar with, but it served um, children from birth to 17, which is too wide of a, of a range. Mm-hmm. And it was also very small. It only had 12 beds. Um, So when I was at the court, we identified that there are a number of youth at that point that needed for a myriad of reasons to not be at home, but yet they didn't need to be in the youth detention center. So there was nowhere to go uh, Mm -hmm. other than attention homes, which were scattered all over the state of Georgia. Uh, And so um, we really needed, needed a shelter. So the Cobb business community stepped up once again, and I chaired the committee that designed uh, Another Chance, which was the adolescent shelter that eventually uh, came to be. Um, And we launched that five years after starting it. Uh, And through a series of events, I became the executive director. Uh, At that point, the boards of Open Gate and Another Chance had merged so everything was under the umbrella of the Children's Center. Um, so I went on um, and had a, a fabulous opportunity to create a campus uh, to bring both shelters together on one campus and expand another chance and also create a third program, residential program for youth aging out of the foster care system. 
Um, so this was a nonprofit, uh, and that launched my career in the nonprofit sector, which has <laughs> been the the second half of my career. And I've had the great privilege to be the executive director um, of several, five to be exact, nonprofits across Metro Atlanta. Wow. You're the lives that you have impacted, Ellen, by your dedication and work and commitment are just, well, they're too numerous to count for sure. And for all of the people who don't know who to say thank you for changing their lives, I say thank you on, on their behalf to, thank to you. you. So thank you. And now you were out of that on a day-to-day basis, but yes. you still work very closely with nonprofits, including the Cobb Collaborative, <laughs> yes. that we are so fortunate um, to have you among our stakeholders. So tell us a little bit about McCarty & Co. Yeah, so um, I'm at this stage in my career where I had so many wonderful mentors along the way, people that really challenged me, that groomed me, um, and that I learned so much from. So uh, having had um, decades of experience at this point. Um, you know, I've had great success and I've had great failure along the way. And I really uh, am very intentional and very committed um, to sharing the wisdom that I have gained uh, and to help bring up the next generation of leaders within our community. I'm very, very passionate about that. So McCarty & Co., I still um, conduct nonprofit um, consultations and still have nonprofit clients, but primarily that's in the areas of board development. I'm very, very passionate about the power of boards. Um, I know the power firsthand that they have uh, when you have a good working relationship between the executive director and a board. Um, the sky's the limit in terms of community impact. So um, I enjoy that tremendously. Um, I enjoy providing counsel to nonprofits, um, strategic planning, uh, the fundraising. I can clearly do, but prefer not to at this point. <laughs> I've raised enough money. I don't want to yes. do that anymore. Um, and then I have three certifications. So I'm doing a lot of training. And that is really where my passion is lying now. It's It's the intersection of the knowledge and the wisdom that I've gained along the way, plus um, these new opportunities to train the community uh, about trauma and about uh, creating trauma-informed communities, how to build resilient communities. And also I'm a certified Clifton Strengths, which is a Gallup um, product um, consultant. So helping individuals and organizations to build their organizational or individual capacity for success through Clifton Strengths is a huge passion of mine. It is. I've heard you speak of that often. So, well, wonderful. Well, Ellen, thank you again, um, not only for a lifetime of service to Cobb County and really Metro Atlanta, but also to joining us here on the podcast. So you mentioned um, trauma-informed, and I mentioned mm -hmm. that you are, um, you do work with the Cobb Collaborative, and I guess our primary area of collaboration is helping Cobb County become a trauma-informed community mm -hmm. and helping certain systems within that, mm -hmm. the legal system, the educational system, the public health care sector become trauma-informed. 
Can you share with our listeners, Ellen, what does trauma-informed mean and what does it look like in practice? Sure. Um, yeah, trauma-informed is is a new, relatively new practice compared to um, more traditional approaches. Um, and the simplest way to think about it is a trauma-informed approach is understanding, a deep understanding and keen keen awareness of the impact of trauma in a person's life. Um, Trauma can cause a wide range of physical and emotional and psychological responses. And so a trauma-informed approach uh, shifts from the traditional philosophy of what's wrong with you to looking at what's happened to you, what kind of trauma, what kind of experiences have you had in your life that have um, had a lasting effect on you? Um, And this really comes in part, in large part, to research uh, that started back in the 90s um, called the Adverse Childhood Experiences, in which researchers for the first time were able to quantify the impact of trauma on a person over the course of their lifetime. And as a result of two studies from Kaiser Permanente and the CDC, um, the awareness of impact uh, and uh, the awareness of the impact of trauma on a person's uh, life really opened the floodgates for more research. So now it is a practice um, that is receiving a lot of tension, and um, there is a concerted effort for Georgia to become a trauma-informed state, literally, again, just meaning that there is an understanding Uh, and an integration of trauma-informed practices uh, across systems that serve residents and citizens of Georgia. And it's so important because we know the research tells us how prevalent trauma is. Um, Mm -hmm. Georgia Statistics Mirror National, three out of five Georgians have experienced at least one adverse childhood experience. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really, everybody after going through the pandemic, that is a traumatic experience for us all, correct? Absolutely. Yes, there are, you know, there are many definitions of trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong. Um, But the definition of trauma that I think is is most useful in, in helping people and myself understand trauma is um, the three types of trauma that really resonate with me. Um, And that's big T trauma. And that is trauma that is universally considered trauma. No one Mm -hmm. would argue with that. So it would be sexual abuse or, excuse me, all kinds of abuse. It would be Mm -hmm. neglect. It would be living in a war zone, a natural disaster. Uh, Again, trauma that universally would be accepted as trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's little t trauma. And this is based on a person's perception. So it's very individualized. Um, For some people going to the dentist or having a fender bender um, is a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. But universally, that's not the case. Not everyone experiences that. I know I'm so grateful uh, I've had many fender benders, so I, I am. Um, it is not traumatic for me. I know just what to do. But for some people, you know, it's so it's it's very individualized. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then the third type of trauma is cumulative trauma. And that's chronic. That's toxic mm-hmm. stress. Uh, it can be generational, intergenerational, such as living in poverty, having limited access to resources, uh, health disparities. Um, so when you can identify the different types of trauma, that can be really helpful in, in understanding its its impact in our communities. Absolutely. Thank you so much for clarifying that and giving some examples around those three types of trauma. So ways that people deal with trauma is to build resilience. And I know that that's one of your favorite topics. So Ellen, can you um, share with us um, how you talk about resiliency, what it means to you, some of your examples or definitions? Sure. Um, I begin by saying that resilience really came, um, became really important to me uh, in my work at the juvenile court. And then later as the executive director of emergency shelters where children in foster care um, lived until there could be a more permanent placement. So I saw it firsthand. And what I witnessed were um, examples of children, youth, families, Um, that had some extraordinarily difficult circumstances and situations, yet they were resilient, especially kids in foster care. And then I would see other families and youth that were well-resourced, that were not as resilient. And I always wondered why, you know, what what makes one person more resilient than another? And there's not one answer to that. Uh, You know, survival plays a role in that. Uh, When you are really just concentrating on surviving the day, um, that's resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, But resilience, the best way uh, to describe it is it's really the bounce back factor. Um, I love the definition of it's a Teflon coating that allows you to withstand the heat of the moment. Um, So it doesn't mean that you um, don't feel the heat, Mm -hmm. it's intense, but it still means that you're able to stand in it and you're able to function. Mm -hmm. Um, So it happens, you can stand in it, you can cope and and you can work through it Mm -hmm. while still feeling it. And Ellen, share with us some examples of how people do um, stand the heat, um, supportive relationships, one trusted mm-hmm. adult, mm-hmm. Um, maybe mm-hmm. faith traditions, mm-hmm. um, having protective factors, I think is what right. we call all of that uh, yeah. in a collective sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the research, there's a lot of research on this and the, uh, I think there's a misperception um, and a myth out there that if you um, are resilient um, you're kind of in this positive space that it's always positive and it's positive affirmations, which absolutely, that is a strategy to build resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the research shows is that resilient people are keenly aware of the situation that they are in. Um, they know the situation, they know the circumstances, they know the challenges, but 
they are also able to remain calm. They're able to be solution focused. They're able to identify uh, and access resources. So uh, oftentimes you will hear, you know, gosh, you have such a positive attitude. I'm sure that's gotten you through it. And it absolutely has. But that person is also probably very aware of what is going on. Mm. Um, So yes, to your point, uh, having that strong support system, maintaining and constantly building your support system so that in those moments when you need to call forth uh, friends or whatever you need in that moment, you have access to that. It's readily available to you. Um, I think one of the best ways is as resilience is a muscle. So much like we go to the gym to build our core, uh, resilience is the same way. And every time you have a resilient moment and you work yourself through a difficult, challenging situation, you have built your muscle. So in the heat of the moment, remembering and reflecting on other experiences prior experiences where you have gotten through that. Uh, And maybe you didn't know at the time, you weren't sure if you could get through it, but you did. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That can be one of the most helpful strategies is always have that top of mind. Go back to it when you find yourself um, thinking, I can't get through this. Yes, you can. You've Mm -hmm. done this before. You can do it again. It may look different, but you did it. It was a Mm -hmm. difficult situation that maybe you weren't sure you could work through. Um, the, I like to think of resilience also as the, the five C's of resilience, which is the ability to stay calm. Um, you, again, you feel the heat of the moment, but you're able to stay calm and remain solution focused clarity. Again, you have a keen understanding and awareness of the situation, which is critical to know how to effectively problem solve and work through it. Uh, Connection, that social support system uh, that you mentioned, that is critical, knowing knowing that that is available to you. Competency, we all have skills, we all have strengths. And that's part of what trauma-informed is too. It's a very strengths-based approach. So Mm -hmm. what are the assets that you bring? What is it that you're really good? And in those moments, being able to draw on that, being able to tap into your strengths, Uh, And perhaps also tapping into understanding where you don't have a strength. Mm. So you need to identify resources within the community or individuals within the community that can help you there. So a sense of competency, a sense of mastery, uh, and then courage. You know, it's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. It's (laughs) not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear Fear. and going through it. Mm. I think that some wise words for uh, parents there who are raising um, really any age child, but particularly maybe middle school and, and um, older high school, it's important not to remove every barrier for your child yeah. and to let them experience some of these fears and some of these hurts so that they can build their resiliency muscle. And when they um, are young adults and ready to either fly out of the nest or get kicked out of the nest, um, <laughs> you know, that they'll be able to cope, right? 
Absolutely. With a, um, perhaps yeah. with a uh, constructive feedback on their first official job or not mm -hmm. getting the score that they thought that they deserved on a on a test or an exam um, in college or after. So wise words indeed. Thank you, Ellen. So for those of our listeners who don't know, Ellen and I teach a trauma-informed class together called Connections Matter. And I love teaching this with Ellen. The class starts with asking people to define their why, their why they are involved in their profession, um, their role in their in their life, the roles that they may play in their community. And Ellen and I have had the great fortune to hear some really wonderful stories about why people got into the helping field right here in Cobb County from school social workers, from case managers, teachers, community coaches, coaches uh, people connected with the faith community. And it's usually um, what one would suspect, idealistic things like giving back, making a difference. Someone in a similar role had a positive impact on them when they were a child. But Ellen, and I love this when she does this in our class, um, she often asks the tougher question, why do you stay? Why do you stay in that role? And Ellen, you have a personal um, story to go along with that, right? Can you, would you mind sharing with us your own journey and when you knew it was time to leave the juvenile court? Um, or you can pick another point mm -hmm. of, of your professional career if you um, want to. Sure. Um, yeah, throughout my career, especially as a probation officer, I was a probation officer for six or seven years. Um, and people would always ask me why, you know, why do you do that? <laughs> they were very intrigued by that job. And um, and as you said, uh, it's pretty universal. Um, <laughs> those that get into the helping field do so because they uh, want to make a difference. Maybe. Um, and this is a case for me. Um, I also uh, had personal experiences growing up that just fueled my desire to um help others. Um, so the the reasons that we get into it are, are pretty universal. Um, so I learned over time that the greater question is, is why do you stay? Because at some point, um, I do believe that if you are working in um, chaotic environments, crisis-driven environments, uh, it takes a toll. And mm -hmm. and you um, experience secondary trauma. Um, and so you have to be self-aware of when that is happening and when you are experiencing it and when it's affecting you and your loved ones negatively. So for me, um, it happened around, I guess, year six. Um, and I was in my office and I was talking with the family their son had just been placed on probation. Uh, he was 15. They had never been involved in the juvenile court. And had He was a, a good kid, had just made some bad decisions uh, that landed him in the court and on probation. Um, and they were telling me their story. And about midway through their story, I realized that I had just checked out. Mm. Uh, and if you had asked me what they had said, I would not have been able to, to tell you. Um, and in that moment, that was a moment of 
clarity for me. Mm-hmm. I knew that for me, this was a story I had heard hundreds of times before. For that family, it was their first time and only time. And mm-hmm. it was their story. And they deserved their story to um, be heard as if it was the first time I had ever heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew in that moment that it was time for me to um, step away, to use that passion in a different way. I still wanted to remain at the juvenile court, but I needed to step away from the day-to-day caseload. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that self-awareness uh, is so critical, uh, especially in those early years when you just find yourself so um, enmeshed and mm-hmm. and having those um, the recognition of those signs that say it's not that you you don't care as much as you always did, um, but you've just you've experienced trauma, your own trauma, mm-hmm. right? Yes, and not to put any um, dates on that because I know you started your career when you're about five years old, but um, I don't know that. Secondary traumatic stress was as commonly used that phrase when um, you first started in with the juvenile court. Totally. So, yeah, that is a fair statement. That is a very (laughs) nice (laughs) way of saying that. (laughs) Um, Ellen, you are not only a um, instructor, a teacher, but you are also an author and you contributed a chapter to a book fairly recently, correct? Can you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. This was um, a book for women by women professionals. um, And it was um, a book intended to empower women to share with women um, strategies to build resilience, strategies to be successful in their careers, in their personal relationships. Um, my chapter specifically um, was on on resilience. It was navigating the storms of life by building resilience. Um, and it focused on the definition of resilience, the research on resilience and why it matters why Mm -hmm. it is significant to understand it, uh, characteristics of resilient people, and then tips on how to build the resilient muscle. So I was a co-contributor or a contributor to the book. Well, we will drop the title of that in the, in the show notes so that our listeners can take advantage of your wisdom. So Ellen, as our time together draws to a close, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you do want to share? Um, I think just, I would just encourage people to learn, to listen, um, especially <clears throat> on the heels of the pandemic. That was something that we went through universally as a world. Mm -hmm. as a country, not as a community, but as a world. Um, And as a result of that, there were a lot of really key learnings and lessons that came from that. So, um, you know, to to really tap into that vulnerability, that empathy, that um, all the really important ingredients um, that go into building resilient people and, and communities and to lean into that and to Mm -hmm. just be open to it and the sharing and the caring. Absolutely. 
Well, I know that you and um, our team member Kaylee will be very busy teaching the community resilience model throughout 2023, and we look forward to sharing that with the community um, and bringing, elevating the issue of resilience and resiliency um, really across all sectors. It's a mm -hmm. um, asset-based approach that works really for any age group um, from caregivers of young children all the way up to senior citizens. Because we do, as you said, as you talked about the five um, C's of resiliency, we all do have competencies and um, and need to be reminded of those and our connections and the courage that is within each of us. And the community resilience model does a wonderful job in helping people, I think, re remember that and um, or recall those things. So. Absolutely. So. Yeah. In closing, I would encourage people to listen uh, to the America song. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs about resilience. And it's the 10 man never gave anything um, <laughs> that he didn't already have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love we, that song. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All Thank right. you for the time. Oh, Ellen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for tuning in today. And to be sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our Mind Your Mind podcast. Also, please ask, we also we ask you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Please tune in next time as we continue to empower and engage our community through conversations about important and critical issues that the residents of Cobb County are dealing with. Until next time, please stay well, everybody. And remember, there is no health without mental health. <laughs>